Father, you are worthy of our worship. We thank you for the many wonderful things you have revealed to us about you. We thank you for sending your Son for us. We pray that we would have hearts of gratitude now as we open your word. God, would you change us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series here through the book of Romans, and I just I want to remind you of a verse in Romans 12, because one of the ways that we can look at the book of Romans is you break it into three sections, and the last section is chapters 12 through 16, and there's a whole bunch of commands in those sections. Uh, but it starts off with this, well, there's, this is verse 2 in chapter 12 that I want to point out to you right now, and I need to turn on my clicker here. There we go. And now maybe Todd needs to do his thing back. Okay, there we go. Romans 12.2 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's just think about that verse real quick. The world has a pattern to which it's trying to conform us to this pattern. Have you noticed that? The people of the world, the things of this world, try to get us to live a certain way, and it's not the right way. It's not the way that honors God. And it's so easy to fall into that pattern. But what does God want to do? He wants to transform us by the renewing of our minds. So that's, that's my heart's desire for you as we continue to go through this sermon series in the book of Romans, that God wants to do a work in our hearts and in our minds to transform us, to make us more like Jesus Christ. So as we jump into Romans 15 today, we're going to see one thing the world struggles with, that the pattern of this world is a bad one, but one thing that we as Christians should excel at. It's unity. Now, before I, I jump into that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, it's, anybody notice that the NFL season is coming? I know we got some fans in here. How's your team doing this preseason? Uh, in the preseason, sometimes if you pay close attention, which I'm kind of paying close attention this year, you start to hear reports about how it's going in the locker room, about whether the guys are getting along or if they're not getting along. And, and there have been some interesting reports coming from my favorite team, the, the New York Jets. Um, now, again, I apologize for being a New York Jets fan. And when I was young, I just like threw a dart at the map and just kind of picked my teams that way. Uh, and I've come around to all the Minnesota teams except for the New York Jets. So I, I do apologize for that. Maybe, maybe you can work on me. Or Christine thinks that she got me to be a Twins fan, so maybe some of you can get me to be a Vikings fan. But, but for now, I'm a Jets fan, and there was something uh, pretty bad that happened in their locker room recently. Two guys were arguing about a sum of money that is ridiculous. I mean, these are NFL players. They're making millions of dollars. And the amount of money that they were arguing over, uh, I did some math, and I figured out for the average American worker is about $30. So they were having this argument over to, to you and I what might be about $30. And it got to the point where one of them punched the other one in the jaw, broke his jaw. The starting quarterback, by the way, is the guy who got his jaw broken by this other backup player. Um, so there, there's a picture of locker room disunity, and it's just like a a horrible thing that went through their, their locker room. Now, I would hope, if I owed you $30, two things. First, I would hope that I would pay it back. I would hope that I would just say, yes, please, let's, of course, I, I, I've got $30. Thankfully, the church pays me enough. I have $30 in my bank. I can get that to you. Let's, let's do that. But second, I would hope that if I was just a little bit late in repaying that debt to you, that you wouldn't punch me. Because there are things that are more important in this world than that. And one of the things that God values really highly is this idea of unity, that we should seek it, we should pursue it. 
You see, as Christians, we're in this together. Did you know, I hope you know this, that when we came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we were brought into the body of Christ. The, the body of Christ is all believers who have come to know Jesus Christ. God brings us into one body in which Christ is the head, and God's purpose is to make us like Christ. That's what God is at work doing. And unity, then, is God's idea. It's not just us saying, hey, I think we should get along. It's God saying his plan is to bring us together and to make us all like Christ. So unity is a big deal to God. And in our passage today, uh, we're just going to look at the first six verses of Romans 15, and I want to walk you through four points regarding unity. So first I want to read Romans 15, verses 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So my first point today is that we should seek unity with other believers. Now these first two verses are really just a summary of what we looked at the last two Sundays, chapter 14, where we were talking about these disputable matters. You know, there's sometimes where two people who are, they're both Christians, they both know Jesus as Savior and Lord, but they have different ideas on a certain thing. And chapter 14 was about how we should treat each other in those disputable matters. And the end of the story is that even if we know that they're right, or if we're right and they're wrong, even if we know that, we're still not supposed to judge them. We're supposed to welcome our brothers and sisters. We're supposed to seek unity. Now, um, it's very possible, as I've walked through the book of Romans, that some of you have disagreed with me on certain things that I have said. So it's a great opportunity for us to say, well, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to pursue unity, or are we going to make that a big deal and cause division over these things? Well, the Bible calls us to, to bear with each other. And here in chapter 15, it, it's talking to the strong, again, to the people who know they're right, and it says, bear with them. And, and again, from chapter 14, we're not supposed to judge them, but we're supposed to welcome them. And then what it tells us in 15.2 uh, is that we should build him up. And that, that word, build him up, is the same word that we saw last week in Romans 14.19 where it says that we're to pursue what leads to peace and to mutual upbuilding. So again, if you're the strong one, don't use your strength to trample those with whom you disagree, but if you're the strong one, bear with your neighbor and do what would build him up. In fact, verse 1 tells us that we have an obligation to do that. So why would God give us that obligation to bear with weak people when, when we know that they're wrong? Well, I think it's because God's desire is to build all of us up. Think about that. Think about how merciful God has been to you over the years as you have struggled with your own things, trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong, but at certain times not always getting that right. What's God's response been to you? It's been mercy. It's been patience. It's been Him wanting to build you up. Now, He wants us to show that same mercy and patience and love to others as we seek what would build them up. So we shouldn't destroy our weaker brothers like we saw last Sunday. Instead, build them up. Look at these verses from Ephesians 4. This is God's plan. I'm kind of starting mid-sentence here in the middle of verse 12. But this is God's plan for the body. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See what God is doing in the body? He is making us like Christ. 
Question for you. Do you want to become like Christ? That's God's plan for you. Do you want that in your life? If so, then seek unity with other believers because that's how God does this. He brings us all into this Christ-likeness in a unified body. Not as we argue and demand our own way about things, but as we humble ourselves and see that God has a plan for all of us together. That's why Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified in John 17 that all who believe in him may be one. So we just sang that song, Make Us One. And you know what Jesus went on to say there in John 17? One of the reasons that he wants, to, wants us to be one is so that we would know that God has loved us even as he loved Jesus. Do you know that about our God, by the way? How, how much do you think God loved Jesus? Scale of 1 to 10. What are we saying here? Like a 12, 11? Okay, yeah. That's how much God loves us. This is, this is God's heart for us to rescue us from our wandering, to bring us to himself, to bring us into the body of Christ and to make us like Christ. That's his desire for our unity. I hope that's our desire for unity as well. Instead of letting things get in the way that we would pursue unity, it's a big deal to God and it should be a big deal to us. So we should please our neighbor and seek what would build them up. It reminds me of the great command, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that God wants to do a work in us to build us up. Let's extend that same grace then to others whom God wants to build up to. And let's realize that God can use us to show that love to our neighbors. So we consider their interests, um, even if there's these disputable matters that come up. And again, those disputable matters, I, I said this the last two Sundays, I'll just say it again. We're not talking about gospel issues here. We're not talking about somebody who tries to tell us to worship Satan. Um, that's not really a disputable matter. That's just they're wrong and they need to be told about it and we shouldn't follow them. But if it's a disputable matter, if it's something not regarding salvation, we show grace. And we recognize that God wants to build us up together. So yes, that person who disagrees with you on something that annoys you, God still wants to build us up together. We should seek what would build others up. Seeking unity. So application question here. Are you a person who seeks to build up your neighbor? There's two ways we can get this wrong. First, we could be so focused on ourselves that we don't even notice our neighbor. And have you noticed how easy it is to go through life that way? Just thinking about you and what you want. Uh, I think it was Martin Luther who made up the, the term, or used the term, navel gazers. That we just look at our own belly button. We go through life looking at my belly button. Not you looking at mine, but me looking at mine. And just thinking, what do I want? What do I need? And, and we like bump into people like, hey, that's, get out of my way. What, what do I need? That's one way we could go wrong. The other way that we could go wrong is that we could look at our neighbors, but we do so in such a way as we look down at them. We judge them. We assume that we're better than them. The right way to go through life is to please our neighbor and to do what will build them up. Okay, let's go on to verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So my second point is that Christ is an amazing example of seeking unity. Um, think about it, all the opportunities that Jesus would have had in his life to retaliate, but he never did. Why? 
Well, a couple reasons. One is that he came to pay the penalty for sin, not to engage in sin. But another reason that Jesus didn't retaliate is because he knew that retaliation didn't bring about unity. Go back to the New York Jets locker room. That, that guy who punched the starting quarterback in the jaw, you know what happened to him? They cut him that day. They said, if that's what you're going to bring to our locker room, we want you out of here. See, our, our fighting doesn't bring about unity. Jesus knew that. So when Christ was insulted and beaten, he didn't fight back. And our verse 3 here quotes Psalm 69, which is a famous psalm. I read this week that all four Gospels allude to this psalm in talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. You might want to read Psalm 69 today. It would be a good one. Um, Jesus suffered for us. And instead of just thinking about what he wanted, he submitted to the Father's will. And he did it for unity. He knew that people would be brought to God if Jesus would submit to the Father's will by going through with the cross. So you see that picture? He didn't just think, hey, I don't want to go on the cross. That would be painful. He, he did think that. He actually talked to God about that. But do you remember what he said? Not my will, but yours be done. It's a picture of unity. It's a picture of Jesus seeking something more than just what he wanted, submitting to the Father's will, and doing what would build others up. And that's the gospel message right there. What Jesus did for us, he, he did because he loves us, because he wanted us to be rescued and because he cared about doing the Father's will. But that takes, that takes a mindset of thinking about others and thinking about God. And that's, that's exactly the model that Jesus set for us. That's the way that we should live. Listen to what Jesus said. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In Hebrews 10, 9, this is Jesus speaking again. He says, Here I am, I have come to do your will. And in the very next verse... And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So again, Jesus is the perfect picture of doing what God wanted and looking to the needs of others. And it's a, it's a perfect example for us. So the application here, we should seek the benefit of our neighbor and we should seek to do God's will. That's if you want unity, that's two wonderful things that you can do there. Think about your neighbor. Think about what God wants. And, and do so the way that Jesus did. Okay, let's move on. Verses 4 through 5. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. My third point today is that Scripture is a source of unity. And uh, let me just say something here by way of illustration. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but to say, praise the Lord. I feel like at Cornerstone, we have, we've had great unity over the years. I've been here for just over eight years now, and I can't really speak to what it was like before I got here. Although when I got here, I saw people who loved each other and got along, got along with each other. And since I've been here for these last eight years, I have seen a group of people that has been amazingly united on things. You know, not on every little thing. Sure, we've had our discussions. We've talked about doing it either this way or that way. But at the end of the day, I feel like what we have done as a body is we have come together and we have had a tremendous sense of unity. And I've asked myself the question over the years, why do we have that? And the answer that I've come up with, not just this week, but the answer that I've come up with is, I feel like we're a people who 
seek God's word together. I feel like as we talk about things, as we're talking about the direction of our church or what color our chairs should be or whatever else it is, that we care about Scripture and we know that Scripture is going to rule the day. So I feel like God has blessed us with that spirit of unity as we together have committed ourselves to being about his word. So praise the Lord. May it continue to be. Uh, there's this phrase out there, uh, a people of the book. I feel like uh, on a good day, that's who we are. We're a people of the book. And may it continue to be so here. Verse 4 tells us that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I want you to notice the all there of 2 Timothy 3.16 and I want you to notice that everything of Romans 15.4 everything that God has given us in his word is for teaching us. And, and yes, that includes the Old Testament as well. In, um, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 10.11 it talks about how the Old Testament has examples and warnings for us. So wherever we read in scripture we can know that God has something for us. Now, it, it takes some effort to figure out the Bible. As we read the Old Testament law, as people who are now in Christ, we, we don't read it as people who are under that law, but we can read it as people who want to know the heart of God and learn from him. God has given us the Bible so that we can know him. And, and eventually, in verse 5 today, uh, we're going to see that the God who gives us scripture is also the God who gives us unity. And I've mentioned how I feel like, praise the Lord, we've seen God do that in our midst. May it continue. But before it mentions unity, it mentions three other things. Endurance, encouragement, and hope. God gives us these things through scripture, it says. And I want to look at each of them individually. So first, let's look at endurance. Do you ever feel like giving up? Uh, another quick illustration here. I am a former cross-country runner, emphasis on the former, um, and just about a month ago, we were on our vacation in South Dakota, and we were heading down one of the hills in the Black Hills, which are green, by the way. Um, they kind of do look black from a distance, but once you're there, they're, they're green. So, uh, But we were heading down one of those hills, and our brakes were just hissing at me. Like they, like they were saying to me, please take me in, there's a problem here. So I was like, okay. So uh, we asked the hotel manager, where's the place we could take our car in? And fortunately, there was a place just a mile down the road, and I called them up, and they had an opening. They could do it that afternoon. So I was like, great, we'll let the kids just rest here for a little bit. And I took the minivan in to get it fixed. And it was only a mile away. And I thought, I'll just run back to the hotel, no problem. And it was like the first part of it was downhill. So uh, about halfway to the hotel, I'm like, I got to stop. I just, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm ashamed of myself. I was a cross-country runner. I, think I could get through a half mile downhill, and that's it. And I did not have the endurance to keep going. Um, and truth be told, even when I was a cross-country runner, I didn't like the endurance part of things. I, I didn't like fighting through the pain. Um, I, I don't understand people who do, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they, there, there might be something wrong with them. No, I'm kidding. That's not true at all. But uh, maybe there was something wrong with me. I didn't like the endurance side of it. But spiritually speaking, it, it's much more important than that. We need to keep going. But, but here's the difference. 
spiritually speaking, it's God who will give us that endurance. And he says he will do it here. The God who gives endurance, he gives it to us through Scripture. Now, how does that work? How does God give us endurance through Scripture? Well, one of the ways I think he does is by giving us those examples that I mentioned. I was thinking of two examples this week, Job and Joseph. Two guys who had to put up with a whole lot of terrible stuff in their lives. But what did they both do? They kept their eyes on God. And Job said he wasn't going to curse the Lord, he was going to praise the Lord. And Joseph kept on serving God in a way that would honor him. And what did God do? He restored both of them. He strengthened them to keep going and even rewarded them at the end. Those examples are for us so that we can look at that and know God will give us endurance too. So if you're feeling like, man, I just do not have what I need to keep going spiritually, look to Scripture and God will strengthen you. And then second, God will give us encouragement. Uh, that word encouragement could also be translated as comfort. And I think we've all been there, right? We've, we've gone through a difficult time in life and then you look at a Bible verse and it just jumps off the page at you like, whoa, that is just what I needed. Uh, raise your hand. Has that ever happened to you? You've just been like, wow, God, thank you for that verse that just sustained me in that moment. Now, a cynic could look at that and say, oh, well, you were just weak and you would, you'd cling to anything at that time. That's not how I see it, though. I think, like it says in God's Word, that the Word of God is living and active. And I believe that God speaks to us through his word. He can speak a word of comfort and encouragement directly to our hearts. I remember a time like that for me. I think I've mentioned this story, but I'll mention it again real quickly. I, I was struggling with joy. And I, and I realized joy is something that he wants to give his children. So I said, okay, God, I'm going to get out my Bible concordance, which, by the way, that's my favorite Bible study tool, a concordance, where you can just look up parts of a verse and find where it is in the Bible. I said, God, I'm just going to open up my concordance, look at the word joy, and I'm just going to read your word until you speak to my heart. And, and that day, he gave me a verse, Isaiah 12:3. With joy, you will draw water from the spring of salvation. And God spoke it to my heart that day and encouraged me. And you know what? God will do that sort of thing over and over and over again through his word to encourage us. And, and it's amazing. Think about all the times in Scripture where, um, where God's people didn't deserve encouragement. All the times where God's people wandered. And, and yes, sometimes there was judgment. But do you know what we also see in Scripture? is God's desire to strengthen his people. Think of how many times God could have given up on his people. Uh, you know, I'm going to start over with somebody else. But he didn't do that. He encouraged us, and he does so through his word. And then the third, hope. God gives us hope through Scripture. And hope is a wonderful thing. Hope for us isn't just wishful thinking. Hope for us is tied into the certainty of God's promises, that he has given us all these promises in his word, and he has never broken a promise. So we can look at Scripture, we can open it up, and any promise that we see in there from God to his people is one that we know that he will fulfill. And that is hope for us. So God gives us endurance and encouragement and hope, and he does it through his word. And then also in verse 5, we see that God gives us a spirit of unity. As I said earlier, God's goal is to make us like Christ. But do you notice how it's phrased in, in this passage and in other passages? It's not that he just wants to make me like Christ, 
or that he just wants to make you individually like Christ. He wants to make us like Christ together. So he gives us this spirit of unity so that he can build up the body so that we can all be strengthened, so that we can all come into that maturity of Christ-likeness. Philippians 2.5 helps us with this. It says your attitude or your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So in Scripture, we're told that we together are to have this attitude that Christ had. And what was Christ's attitude? Well, in that Philippians passage, it was an attitude of humility and of servanthood and of looking to the needs of others. So as we commit to those same kind of things, and this is a command, by the way, in Philippians 2.5, as we obey that command to have that same attitude as Christ, he brings us together in unity and he strengthens us all up, builds us all up. So through his word, God gives endurance, encouragement, hope, and unity. And my application here, let's be committed to God's word, individually and together. Individually, let's all seek God in his word. Are you in that habit? I talk often here about being in a practice of even daily Bible reading. Well, let me say something here that might surprise some of you. Uh, I don't know of any command in the New Testament that says that we should read the Bible every day. But again, those of you who've been here for years, you've heard me say that how many times that I think that we should read the Bible every day. Where do I get that from? Did I just kind of make that up on my own? Well, no, I didn't. I could maybe point it out for you in the Old Testament. I think I could actually do that. Um, but my heart in this isn't that we would just do it as, uh, just as following a command. My heart in this, and this is the way it happened for me, when I was first given this challenge to read God's word every day, do you know what happened in my heart? It was that I, and this is funny because I'm a rule follower. If there's a rule to follow, I like to follow it. So if somebody told me something, you know, oftentimes my response is, okay, I'll do that. But not this time. When, when somebody challenged me to read God's word every day, you know what went through my heart? It was this idea that if God has graciously given us his word, then of course we should get to know him in it. So when I come before you and I say, I think that we should read from God's word every day, I'm not giving it to you as a command. I'm, I'm suggesting it to you as something that will bring life. I'm suggesting it as something to you to see that God loves you and wants to transform you, and he does so through his word. He's given it to us. It's right here. I I just would encourage you to be in the practice of reading it daily. But then also, we together should be committed to God's word. And I think we do a good job of that at Cornerstone. May it continue. May we base all that we do on his word. Let's study it. Let's get to know it together. Let's demand when we're together that God's word is central for what we do. God gives us unity and builds us up through his word. And then one last point in verses 5 through 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of our unity, this is my fourth point, is to glorify God. Now, don't get me wrong, there are other purposes to our unity. I've already mentioned that God wants to build us up. That's that's a great purpose. But perhaps even more important is this idea that God wants us to glorify him and he wants us to do it 
together as a unified body. Many of you are familiar with this quote from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Not a Bible verse. Uh, Maybe some people would like it to be. It's not a Bible verse, but it's really helpful, I think. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The, The heart behind that verse is that we were created not just to know God, but also to glorify Him, to live according to the ways that He has said we should live. That is why He made you That's why he made us, so that we could glorify him. But it also gets at this point here when it says to enjoy him forever, that we realize that when we follow God, when we glorify him, that's where our true joy comes from. Because there we find peace and purpose and fulfillment. So glorifying God is honoring to God, but it's also good for us as we live according to our life's purpose. And we're told how to do this in verse 6. We're told that we are to glorify God with one heart and one mouth. That's a picture of unity. That we'd be, we'd be so united that we could speak with one mouth. And, and again, that's what God just wants to do in us. He wants to bring us all together and make us all like Christ. And in our unity, we are to worship God. Does it matter to you whether you worship God? How important, of all the things that you think about you must do in your life, how important is it to you that you would worship God? Now, if you're like me, uh, that's maybe not something that you thought a lot about growing up. Uh, I thought there were lots of other more important things to do. But is it important to you now to worship God? That's what we were created for. That's when our lives run the best, when we submit to him like Jesus did, when we honor and glorify him with our whole life. And by the way, worshiping isn't just singing. Singing is a great way to worship God. It's one of the things we can do. But really, worshiping God is an entire life thing, like it says in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offering our bodies to God is the way we worship Him. So in all that we do and think and say, we can honor and glorify God. That should be our goal. And we should do that together in unity. Now again, Jesus is the perfect example of this. In John 17:4, talking about glorifying God, He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You see that? Jesus glorified God by doing the work that he was sent to do. And you know what? We all have that kind of work as well. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that the God of the universe has created works for you to do? I love this thought. Every single one of us in here, God has lined up a path of good works and we can honor and glorify Him by doing those things. That means your job. You can honor and glorify God by doing your job, by showing up at work tomorrow, by whether it's serving customers or doing what your boss tells you to do or if you work by yourself, working as if working for the Lord. We can honor God by doing the work that he has given us to do. And that's not just your job, by the way. That's the way that you treat your friends and your family. It's what you do in your free time. 
we can honor and glorify God by doing the things he has prepared for us to do. And our passage tells us what kind of things we're supposed to do. For one, it says that we're supposed to build our neighbors up. And then it also says that we're to, uh, in verse 6, glorify God with our heart and our mouth. And we're supposed to do it in unity. Um, the last book of the Bible gives us a picture of what heaven's going to be like. And several times in the book of Revelation, we see this picture of worship. The people coming together around the throne, the angels, the elders, all these magnificent creatures, and us, people from every tribe and nation and people and language, coming together and worshiping God in unity. That is what God has told us we will be doing for all eternity, and we can practice it now by worshiping God together. So application point here, let's glorify God with our heart and our mouth. With our heart, that means to honor God with our choices and our thoughts. In the Bible, did you know that the heart isn't necessarily the emotional part of us? That's what we often think, that our heart is the seat of our emotions. But in the Bible, really, the heart is our command center. It's, it's where the big choices of our life go on. It's, it's really what defines us. And we can honor God with our heart. That means with our choices, with our thoughts. But then also we are to honor God with our mouth. And that means that we should say things that bring glory to God. We should sing to Him. We should tell others about Him. We should have scripture on our mouths. We should encourage one another. That's how we can honor God with our mouths. The greatest commandment, according to Jesus, you know this, that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's show him that love by glorifying him as a unified body with one heart and one mouth. And then I want to close just very simply with a verse from Psalm 69. I mentioned earlier that our passage quotes from Psalm 69, and you might enjoy reading it today. It's a passage about how Jesus suffered for us. Uh, but near the end of Psalm 69, there's a wonderful verse about how we can worship God. Verse 30 says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Let's live lives of praise and glory to God and let's recognize that he created us to do that together. And that as we do that together, he will build us up and make us more like Christ. So let's seek unity and let's seek to honor and glorify God as Christ did and as God strengthens us to do now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you not only bring us to Jesus, but you also bring us together in unity. We pray that you would continue to do that, that you would give us that spirit of unity as we seek you, and that you would also give us that endurance, encouragement, and hope. God, may we be a people of your word. As we seek you in your word, would you strengthen us to live like Christ? Would you make us more like him? Make us together more like Christ. And not just us here in this room, but all over the world, God, we pray for unity for your children, for the body of Christ. And God, as a unified body, I pray that we would honor and glorify you with one heart and one mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.